Welcome to the Soul Summit Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Levesque. I'm here to bridge the gap for women in the outdoors, build a community of adventure junkies, and roll out your weekly dose of positive vibes. With almost two decades in the health and fitness world and an untamable passion for hunting and the outdoors, my mission is to help you live a bucket list life and move boldly in the direction of your dreams. Meet us here weekly as I connect with like-minded men and women to discuss health and mindset, accountability, life and entrepreneurship, as well as all things hunting and epic untold stories. This podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, high quality supplements for rugged individuals. Wilderness Athlete has been making the best supplements that will give you an edge in the wilderness, the gym and life for the last 17 years. Head to wildernessathlete.com to see their products and use the code no excuses to save money and support you on your way to your best health. Also brought to you by Baku e-bikes. Baku is building top quality e-bikes, helping you get farther and enjoy the hunt. Find more at baku.com. That's B-A-K-C-O-U.com. You can use the code HerOutdoorJourney to save a few hundred dollars on your new electric bike. South Dakota is expanding pheasant hunting's horizons and giving sportswomen a greater voice in the field. The connection to nature, the adrenaline of the hunt, the satisfaction of eating the game you bag. Hunting is our shared legacy. Everyone is welcome to enjoy it. Go to huntthegreatestsd.com to hear stories from women who hunt and learn what makes South Dakota the world's pheasant capital. That's huntthegreatestsd.com. South Dakota, sportswomen welcome. All right, you guys, welcome to another episode of the Soul Summit Podcast. It feels so good to say that. Uh, We are just now rebranding, if you will, from her inspired journey to Soul Summit Podcast, which really just encapsulates everything that we're hoping to do with this show. Um, So welcome. I am glad that you are here on this journey, whether you are a first time listener or if you've been along on all 80 plus episodes so far. Um, we started the podcast in uh, actually the end of 2018, but it's been kind of a slow go uh, in figuring out exactly what we're doing with this. So we appreciate you being here, staying patient. And like always, if you have topics or questions or guests that you want to um, recommend for the show, we would love to hear it. We really just enjoy getting to connect with other like-minded men and women um, who share passions and who also want to help educate or inspire people. So um, feel free to reach out to us. You can always um, send us a message over at uh, on Instagram. It's called Soul Summit Media. So at Soul Summit Media, um, or you can message me directly at Her Outdoor Journey. Uh, Today, we're going to get into a cool episode with Cindy Stites. Um, She really just kind of opens herself up to talking about hunter education and her passion for getting other men, women, and children outdoors to experience the hunt. Everything from first time getting a, a weapon in hand to shooting, talking about ethics, and really just going through all of that. Um, her story for getting into hunting was it was a big story. It uh, it came from a really dark place in her life, and I will give you a warning uh, for this episode. We will get into talking about domestic violence, sexual assault, and a lot of that tra- trauma. So if you have um, little ones around, 
um, or if you are somebody who was triggered by those things, uh, fair warning, we will dive into that and how that all uncovered for Cindy in this episode. It's a really good one. Stick with us. I hope you enjoy it. And as always, we would love to hear your feedback after the show. If this made an impression on you, please share it with somebody else. You can share it on social media, take a screenshot, text it to a friend. Um, We really just want to help create more of a community and reach more men and women. All right, here we are in another podcast today. I'm joined by Cindy Stites out of Indiana. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to personally and selfishly just dive into all things Cindy and what you're doing right now. Why don't you give us an overview of what life looks like for you? Well, um, for me right now, life is very busy because it's hunting season. Um, and we are on the on the cusp of rifle season in Indiana, which means I will be taking out a bunch of um, in the next few weeks. And that, in addition to my job, I work for Hunt to Eat as the director of education. So I'm also trying to plan camps to take other new hunters out around the country. So it's a busy, busy time of year for me right now. Um, In addition to that, I am working with Indiana Hunter Education and with Indiana Turn in a Poacher Board. So it's just this time of year is is a little bit crazy. I used to work in horticulture and spring was always that for me in that life. And now it's turned to fall being being my crazy time of year. So I'm, I'm on my toes for sure. Definitely, definitely. So give us a little bit more of the backstory on your 25 years in the industry and how that kind of evolved into what you're doing now. I started out in horticulture um, right out of high school. I chose not to go to college. Um, I was supposed to go on a softball scholarship or a basketball scholarship, and my body was just, um, (laughs) my body was not agreeing with that. So I made the jump right into the workforce, and I was inspired by my grandmother. My grandma Stites was a plant person from as long as I could remember. So I started working in a greenhouse and a nursery and just stuck with it, and I stayed in that industry for 25 years. Um, which really, I guess it was just the love of the outdoors kept me there because it was an outside occupation. I was always outdoors up until the last few years when I was in uh, upper management and stuck behind a desk. But And really, that's probably one of the reasons I transitioned out of that was I just couldn't stand being behind a desk anymore. I wanted to be outside again. So it was kind of a natural transition to want to move to the outdoor industry as far as the hunting space goes. Um, mainly because I'd just fallen in love with hunting about nine years ago. And it just, it seemed like that's where I'm happy. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, it just worked out that it kind of fell over into another outdoor career. Which is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's cool because I I talk to a lot of people who say all the time, I just want to work in the outdoors. I want to work in the outdoor industry. And I think what a lot of people sometimes fall into is that position is not necessarily something that's getting them outdoors. It is like you just said, you know, you're kind of stuck behind a desk or a lot of times you're working, you're, you're, you know, you're working during that hunting season. So you're missing a lot of those opportunities. So pretty cool for you to be able to roll into something that allows you that more freedom 
to get outside. I also have to read this because in our email, um, you obviously wear a ton of hats. You said I'm an Indiana hunter education instructor, Indiana 4-H archery instructor. I sit on the citizens advisory board for the Indiana turn in a poacher program, as well as the Indiana outdoor education teaching team. Also a 2% for conservation regional committee member and the co-chair for the Indiana BHA chapter. So you are doing really a lot of things and um, kudos for you because all of these organizations really help to nurture and preserve um, what we get to do and how we get to do it. So tell us kind of your motivation for wearing that many hats and staying that busy and what is your goal in doing so? Um, I think, well, I want to, I want to add, maybe I'm a former co-chair for BHA in Indiana, but and the reason is I got so busy doing so many things. I just kind of had to pick and choose what I could yeah. spend time doing. But sure. the reason, the reason I think that I'm so drawn to a lot of different organizations that deal with conservation of the outdoors is because it's, you know, being a hunter or learning how to hunt changed my life. And I feel like I owe something back. You know, I, I feel like I need to give back um, because it gave me so much. And those organizations are just ways that I can do that in, in a good, positive, ethical way where it helps other people. Um, I don't know that just it just feels like I owe it to the hunting space, you know, not to not to people necessarily, although that's my main drive and who I want to help. But I think just knowing what it's done for me and knowing what hunting has um, offered me, I want, I feel like I should offer something back. No. And I think that's incredible because a lot of times, you know, even for me, and I've talked about this a little bit in the past, you know, growing up, um, I was fortunate enough to get to hunt with my dad. And that was just a very normal, regular thing for us, you know, growing up in a hunting family. Um, what I never considered is what conservation truly is, where the money for my tags goes and the projects that stand behind that and, you know, water and habitat and, and just reintroduction. Like there's so many different layers um, to what it, it means to be an outdoorsman in general that I think sometimes it's easy to kind of overlook um our footprint in that. And something that you said also in that email, you know, is that you have a passion for just being a steward to the land, which I think is incredible because we do take a lot as hunters. Um, but sometimes we kind of lose that balance in giving back. What have been some of the most um, impactful um, or what are, have been some of the, the projects that you may have been a part of that have just been really stand out to you as being something that you're really proud to be a part of? I think um, the hunter education program in Indiana is probably the top thing for me, um, not just because, you know, most hunter education programs, let's be honest, they're more firearm safety than they really teach about hunting. Um, as far as the real in-depth, you know, ethical things and talking about death and dying and that sort of thing. But I still feel like whether it's an adult or if it's, you know, a child that getting them outside to begin with is a huge step. And then mm -hmm. once they see that, you know, there's an enjoyment there and they lose the fear of everything that was keeping them from doing it in the first place, people really start to embrace the outdoors and they embrace what it means to be a hunter. And if I can kind of knock that barrier down for them, that means the most to me. Um, so the hunter education program is definitely top on my list. So I think the project with DHA um, th that we did in Southern Indiana, that one of the ones that stands out to me 
we went down and removed invasive plant species from the forest, from Hoosier National Forest. And then we um, we participated in building bat habitat, which was really strange for me walking into it. And when they told us what we were doing, I thought, what? <laughs> you know, bats aren't something that were the first thing that came to mind. But then if you really step back and think about it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what habitat you're helping as long as you're giving back to wildlife in general. It doesn't have to be a game species. Um, Non-game species deserve the attention just as much. So that was really cool for me to be able to go down and, and work on a project like that. That just kind of took me by surprise, but ended up being really fulfilling. So I think that also goes to show how integrated all species are. So whether we're talking about, um, you know, a, a bug eating animal, right? Or we're talking about a meat eating animal, everything interplays together where conservation isn't just about focusing on the things that we want to hunt. It's about focusing on their habitat and their ecology and how all that works together. You said something though, that was very interesting to me. And I want to kind of circle back to it here for a second. You said that, you know, working in the hunters education program, um, you get to help others overcome the barriers to getting in the outdoors. What are some of those most common barriers for people? I think a lot of times, well, it's, it, it's, it's two different things. For adults, I feel like now where we're at in society, I don't think there's a lot of people that have had hunting passed down um, to them the way it had been in the past. Um, if you went back into the 80s, 70s in, and before, that was something that was just passed down by, you know, grandfather to son, son to d son or daughter. Now it's, it's, it seems like it's skipping generations. And I feel like for adults, um, they may just not have someone to show them the way. They don't know where to start. They don't even know what to do first. And getting them into a hunter education class is that first step. And whether that's just talking to them about hunting and, and getting them over that uh, fear of firearms, then connecting them with other people in their area that they can talk to or potentially go out and sit with while that person hunts so they can really kind of witness what hunting is. That gives them a little bit more confidence to then go out and do it themselves. As far as children, I think the barrier really, you know, when we talk about R3 and getting new people in the outdoors, um, I love taking kids hunting. Like that's what I do every fall. That's seven or eight kids every fall. That's just like the best thing ever. But it's hard because those kids really don't have a say. Um, they don't, they're not able to drive themselves to where they need to go to hunt. They're on their parents' schedule. They can't afford to go out and buy their own gear or their own firearms or their own archery equipment. So it's really tough. The barriers for kids seem to be a lot more challenging to keep them involved because they don't have the capability to go do it on their own. Yep. Whereas if you start working with adult hunters, or people that want to start hunting as, as, you know, twenties, thirties, forties, they have that capability to, to continue on, on their own. So mm -hmm. the barriers are different depending on the age group you're looking at, but I think just getting them through the door in hunter's ed and, and sitting them down and letting them listen to you talk about conservation and hunting ethics, even if it's in a sh short spurts or short sessions, it at least gives them a little bit more information to get started. And, and then you connect them to other people in their community to help. So, you know, speaking to the point where a lot of people are, they do have a, a, an intimidation factor, um, you know, about touching a gun or being around guns sometimes. Um, what are some of the steps that you can help or how do you approach that with somebody so that they keep like a healthy appreciation and respect for firearms, but also kind of remove the fear base around that? 
Personally, when I take new hunters out, um, the first thing that we do is meet in my garage. And we, we don't go hunting until we sit and talk for a few hours. If it's a, a kid, usually I ask their parents to stay so I can they can hear the whole conversation so they understand what I'm teaching you know their child. But it, it, it really starts out with basic firearm safety. You know, keep your finger off the trigger. Always treat it like it's loaded. Muzzle control. And I, I preach that to where they get sick of hearing it because I say it so much. Because honestly, that's the first step um, to letting them go out. Even if, if, if they're going out with their parent, you, you have to make sure you know, understand safety of a firearm. And then once you explain that stuff to them in, in simple terms and, and, you know, remind them that once you pull the trigger, it's final. You mm-hmm. can't ever take that back. And that's, I don't try to scare the kids that I talk to, but I try to really ingrain that in them that it's final. You know, you cannot unpull the trigger because once, once you've done that, whatever, you, you know, you hit it, you can't fix it. So sure. working with, with them and adults too. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a 10 year old or a 40 year old, if they're sitting in my garage, they get the same spiel um, because I just want to keep it simple and, and, you know, to the point that, Safety is the most important thing. And then, you know, I think once you let them hold the firearms, let them look inside of them, let them look at the action, explain what the actions do, um, putting one in their hands while it's empty and they they feel safe really kind of gives them a little bit more confidence to go out and then actually go down to the range and shoot. Because I take them to shoot too. I, I don't just take somebody out blind. They go down and they shoot the firearm they're going to be hunting with because I don't want them to be scared of what it's going to do in the woods when they shoot for the first time. I mean, that'd be silly to just take somebody out and give them a gun. So we always go down to the range. They have to shoot. And generally we do all this two or three days before we even go hunting. That way they can kind of, you know, get their mind right on everything we talked about before we go to the woods. And and if they have any reservations, they've got a couple days to tell me about it before we actually go. Well, I'm, I'm always a little bit surprised and I guess I shouldn't be, but the amount of people who don't touch their weapon before, you know, or maybe once a year, if anything, you know, before they go and hunt and, you know, to your point, yes, it's very much about safety and knowing how to handle a firearm and to, and to do it the right ways and to practice all of the safety things. But at the same time, I think as hunters, we all have a duty to be as ethical and to have as clean and quick of a, a kill as possible. Um, so I think that also comes along with it as well. Um, do you see the same thing? Like, do you feel like it's important to be able to be more proficient and have that experience behind a trigger or what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think that, um, and that's when we get into the ethical conversation we talk about shot placement and understanding that the last thing you want to do is wound an animal. Um, you want to make sure that when you go out, you have the respect for the animal that you're going to give it a quick, clean kill. Mm -hmm. And you know, explaining that to people, it, it's almost like they've not thought about it before because they've not really put the pieces together of all the steps that it takes mm-hmm. when you right. go out. And there are a lot of steps when you're going out as a hunter of everything that you have to check off the list to make sure not just that, you know, success looks different to everybody, but not just so that you have an animal down at the end of your hunt, but that it was a clean kill. You didn't have to chase it all over the woods. It didn't suffer. It didn't go off and die somewhere in the coyotes you know, take care right. of it. It There's just so much that goes into it that I don't think people fully are aware of until they sit and go through all the steps. Mm-hmm. So I think the proficiency is incredibly important. Um, you know, even with me, I archery hunt 
but I still, I still have reservations and I can go out and shoot at a target all summer long. And when I go to the woods, I'm still nervous about making that good shot because I've lost mm-hmm. a deer on an archery hunt before and it was devastating and I will never forget it. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. I, I don't want, and it's going to happen when you hunt, it's going to happen. And, and everybody knows that, that things happen. And unfortunately, sometimes you make bad shots and you lose an animal, but to, to talk about proficiency with people and to really get them to understand how important it is to practice and make good shots. I think you can't overstate that enough because losing an animal is, like I said, it's, it's not a feeling I experience, although as a hunter, it's probably going to happen at some point. Absolutely. Yep. No, I was there a couple of years ago with an, with an archery buck and it is, it's just devastating. I mean, I cried like a baby. I lost sleep for days. I spent a week tracking. I, you know, you just, you feel so so helpless. And so, I mean, ultimately we're responsible for yeah. that. And, you know, I'm confident that that <clears throat> buck died, but I was never able to recover it, you know, and, and there's only so much comfort you can get in understanding that with the circle of life and mother nature, other things will eat it, but that, that doesn't help take away that feeling of responsibility for not being yeah. able to, you know, complete the process of that harvest. So I, I cried as well. <laughs> we looked and looked and looked until it was so dark and we lost a blood trail and the guys that were helping me, they were like, look, we, we're done. We can't, we don't have a blood trail. We don't even know which direction mm-hmm. to go. I sobbed all night. I lost sleep. Yeah. I left work the next mo- the next day at noon. And I was like, that's it. I'm going home. I drove home. I went out by myself and I happened to find the doe about 50 yards from where we had stopped looking the night before. And the coyotes had already pretty much stripped her. I was devastated. And then I cried again. <laughs> you right. know, I was, I was glad that I found her and and I knew that she was dead and she probably died pretty quick. I was very disappointed that I felt like it was my fault that, you know, it went to waste. No, I don't want to say waste, but you know what I mean? That that if there was any possibility that she was still alive when the coyotes got to her, that is devastating to me Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we all know that nature is not kind. Um, And if anybody thinks that it is, they're not paying attention, but right. it's a hard, it's a hard thing to deal with knowing it really that, is that that's your fault, you know? That, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's tough. Definitely. So you're kind of going back again into your backstory. You didn't grow up hunting. Um, in fact, it's, it's been something with the last decade that you have kind of um, stumbled into. And um, if I read your email correctly, you actually would have said probably that you would never be a hunter. Talk about that evolution and how you got from really not being against it, but not being for it to being a huge advocate for the hunting space. When I met my partner, uh, Chance, um, a little over nine years ago, he, when we met, <laughs> we met online. Yeah, we're one of those couples. And I showed up at his house with a handgun, a fishing pole, and a tackle box. And that was the first encounter that we had. And he was like, whoa, okay. So he assumed that I would just be a natural at hunting because I've fished all my life. I mean, my dad taught us to fish when we were very small. Um, so he kind of in encouraged me to try. And I was like, I have no interest in hunting. I there, Number one, I can't kill an animal. He's like, but you fish. I'm like, that's different. <laughs> I don't know why it's different, but it's different. I said, there's no way I could, I, I'm an animal lover. There's no way I could do this. So he pushed a little bit more. And finally, before season started, got me in a tree stand. We had a double ladder stand climbed up in it. And he's like, just sit here, just kind of sit and, you know, look at everything. 
And that day, um, a piebald doe walked out on the field edge and I'd never seen a piebald deer before and it blew at us and I didn't know what that was. So I was startled and I was like, what? I don't understand what just happened. But then after that, I was intrigued. So he, um, he got me his rifle. He had a 44 mag lever action, 44 mag. And he taught me how to shoot it. I was shooting with the wrong hand. I was an athlete my entire life and I did all my sports right-handed, even though I wrote, I, you know, I write left-handed. So I just assumed I should be shooting right-handed and I was trying to shoot and I couldn't hit a target to save my life. And then he realized that I was leaning over my gun and looking with my left eye and he was like, okay, switch hands. So basically he taught me how to shoot over a weekend maybe. And then he was like, there's the woods, go figure it out. And I thought, you've got to be freaking kidding me. And he's like, nope, that's how I learned. That's how you're going to learn too. All right, you guys, I just want to interrupt this episode for a quick minute to talk about a big sale Baku e-bikes has going on. November 19th through the 29th, when you buy any model bike, you get $300 off. You get the compact gear trailer, the GoPro Lumen headlight, which is two, uh, 2200 lumens, which is fan-freaking-tastic when you're out there trying to get back and it's after dark. Uh, you also get the phone mount case, the trailside repair kit, and their side saddlebags, which are pretty legit for helping um, just get a few more things in and out of the field. That's over $1,100 in savings going on for the Black Friday sale. Uh, again, that's November 19th through the 29th. Uh, just head over to baku.com, B-A-K-C-O-U.com, and take advantage of this killer sale. All right, now let's get back into the show. And that was it. It was like, there you go. And so it went from, there's no way I could do this to coming to his house every single day of the season and going out and sitting by myself and trying to figure out, you know, how to get, how to make it into the woods quiet. How do you get up a ladder stand quietly without clanging how do you play the wind? How do you know where the deer are coming? How do you know when they're going to come? How do you know to even where to go to sit? And I knew nothing. And I would come back to his house and I'd be mad and frustrated. We'd argue. And he's like, gosh, you're complaining so much. I'm like, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. So there'd be times I would come back and he was like, well, let me tell you why I wouldn't have went there. Or let me tell you why I wouldn't have even went out this morning. And I look at him and I'm like, how could you not tell me this beforehand? Why would you just let me go if you knew? He goes, because that's the only way you're going to learn. It was brutal. It was the worst way to learn. But in, in the big picture, and I know this now, it was the best thing that he could have done to me. And in that moment, because sure. I was coming from a really bad place and I didn't have any confidence and I had to fight and claw to figure this out. And, and yeah, he gave me, he fed me tips, you know, from time to time, just to keep me kind of going. And, and keeping me from giving up, which I'm so competitive at that point, I wasn't giving up. It was like, I'm going to do this. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was just something I never had any intention of doing ever. And then it went it went from zero to 100 miles an hour in a matter of a month. And I've just never stopped. <laughs> I've never looked back at this point. 
Well, that approach would not necessarily work for everybody. Again, not everybody learns or, you know, takes things the, the, the same way. Um, but, you know, where you were when you entered that new relationship from where you were in that abusive relationship that you came from, um, there was a, a journey of refinding yourself. Before we got on air, we were kind of just briefly touching on the fact that statistically speaking, there's not very many people that are going to hear this episode that haven't been directly affected by an abusive relationship, whether that's physical, emotional, sexual, you know, there's so many different um, ways that abuse can happen. Um, So either being directly affected by it or know somebody who's directly affected by that. Um, And it's a, it's a hard thing to experience. It's a hard thing to share, but I think there's so much power in knowing that, you know, though you've been through that, so many other people have been through that as well. And there's a healing process and we're, you know, we can all kind of come together and help each other rebuild the foundational pieces to gain the confidence in yourself. Can you talk to us a little bit about that process coming through that trauma? Um, How, you know, where you left that relationship and how you built yourself back up to where you are now? Sure. Um, It's, it's a, it's a tough thing. I you know, I've been gone from that marriage for in January, I think it'll be 11 years now. And it seems like a lifetime ago. Honestly, it just, it, it seems like I, I don't know that person anymore. And I can't even fathom living that life anymore because it was, it was just, it was crazy. Um, so I was married um, for 10 years to uh this guy and i was with him for 11 but um it was probably the first year that the abuse really started and at that point i didn't really know what to do i mean i was in my mid-20s so it's one of those things that you think you can fix everything and i think with most abusive relationships um at least most that i've you know talked to people who've been a part of there's the feeling of well if i love them enough it'll fix it and they'll quit but uh, he was an alcoholic and um, verbally, sexually, physically, emotionally, every, every, everything that you can put before the word abuse, it was there. So, you know, when I, when I finally, finally got the courage to leave and that's a hard thing. People are like, why did you stay so long? That's a question that you can't answer. I can't even answer that now. And I've been gone for 11 years because it's, you feel obligated to help them. You feel trapped. You feel f- afraid to leave. Um, but then something um, something changes and, and a light, you know, it's like a, a, a switch is flipped on and you're like, okay, got to go. It's time. And when I hit that point, um, I left and um, I was not really knowing what I was going to do. There was no direction. You know, I still had a job and I was working and I was working for a landscape company as a designer and, you know, but the horticulture industry doesn't pay a lot. So I was struggling financially. I had to make some decisions about, you know, I had a truck. Do I sell my truck and and get an apartment or do I live in my truck and not have an apartment? Um, I lived off of credit cards for a couple of years. I just, there was so much more than just the abuse because the consequences follow, um, whether that's financially or emotionally, I still, um, I still have a feeling in the pit of my stomach 
if I hear somebody raise their voice, even if it doesn't have anything to do with me, if I hear two people that are having conflict and I, I see tension, I just get sick to my stomach and I, I don't like loud noises. Um, you know, I, I used to be fine with like blaring music and and now I can't. Not to say that I don't do some carpool karaoke in my truck when I'm traveling, because I do, <laughs> but I just, so many things have changed for me sure. um, on an emotional level and, and almost even a physical level from, from that situation. But it's, uh, the healing process is interesting. I don't think that I would be where I am now had I not started hunting. And I know that sounds really kind of kooky and like, how, how would hunting, how would something like hunting do that for you? But to to know that when I walked away from there, I was nothing. I had I was like I said in the email, I was a shell of a person. I had no self confidence. I didn't believe in myself for anything. I was told for so many years I couldn't do anything, and I was dumb, and I was ugly, and you know I wasn't woman enough, and I mean just all the things. So when you walk away from that, you're like, well, who's going to who give me I? the time of day? Mm-hmm. Who am I? Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. used to be an athlete and have so much confidence, and now I don't even think you know, I can go to the grocery store by myself. So I think the, the um, passageway into hunting and having to figure a lot of that stuff out for myself was like, man, I can do that. There's no reason I can't do this. And if I can do this, I mean, holy crap, this is hard. There's a lot of things I can do that I'm not giving myself credit for. And, and that being in the outdoors, sitting by myself, I mean, there were a lot of days that I went out and I didn't, yeah, I was hunting and yeah, I was looking for deer, but I was zoned out. I was just Mm -hmm. sitting there trying to uh, get my head wrapped around what happened from like 24 to 35. Like, where did that part of my life go? And if you think about it, that's a part of someone's life that is huge. I mean, that is when, you know, a lot of people really dive into their careers. They have children, they build their family, they, they do all the things. And, and it was just, it was just kind of a dark hole for me. So you have to really sit and think about that and come to terms with it and be okay with it and accept it and know that it it is what it is. It happened. Now I've got to move past it and I can't make that my life. I have to just remember that I have a whole life in front of me now that I can do anything I want. And, and hunting gave me that because it let me have that confidence to know that, man, if I can do this, I can do anything. And like I said, I know that may sound hokey to people, but it's, you know, it's the outdoors, it's the quiet, it's the challenge. It's the, just the satisfaction of watching animals do animal things. Not even, you're not, you know, not wanting to shoot them, just watching them and the squirrels and the birds. And, you know, I'm a plant geek. So going out and getting to watch, you know, plants kind of develop through the season or the leaves drop, or it's just all of it, all Mm -hmm. of it encompasses the healing um, journey for me. So I, when I say hunting saved me, I, I know that sounds hokey too, but I really believe that. I, I really believe it did. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't suicidal, but I, but I, I didn't know who I was anymore. Right. And right. now I feel like I've come into maybe who I've been all along and just didn't really know it. So, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's a journey. 
Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a transformation for sure. And it might be hard for people um, listening to understand how being, you know, for lack of better terms, thrown into the outdoors by yourself to figure it out, even from such a broken place could have helped you feel more confident. That might be hard for people to understand because that looks like a lot of vulnerability happening at one time in a place where you're really broken and dark. Can you describe or talk about the steps through that a little bit more? And, and you know, yes, nature and, and the beautiful, you know, getting to watch sunrise, sunset, animals, things grow and stuff. That that And if you're a hunter, I think all of us kind of get bits and pieces of that. Like you get that soul-filling um, vibe that the outdoors can give you. But Talk about that confidence transformation a little bit more. Um, it, it's I, look, I have been one to say that I suffer from imposter syndrome. I mean, it goes all the way back to when I was a kid. I was a good athlete, but I never said I was a good athlete when I was a kid. I know it now, but when I was a kid, I was like, nah, I, no, I'm okay. You know, I don't, I always got in trouble in high school uh, in basketball because I didn't shoot the ball enough. My coach was like, shoot the ball more. And I was like, well, I don't want to be the ball hog. I don't want to be that girl. So I've struggled. I've kind of struggled with that, you know, all my life. I kind of feel like as an athlete, I knew that I was talented, but I don't know that I ever like pushed it to my full potential because I was afraid of being uh, the, the one that wanted the attention or the ball hog or, you know, I just didn't want to be that person. But, but I feel like now, you know, that I'm older and I've grown into while the woman I am now, I feel like, man, there's nothing wrong with being confident and there's nothing wrong with taking ownership. If you can accomplish something and feel proud of it, take ownership of it. And that's a, this is a moment for me to say that out loud because it's, it's been a journey to even get to that point. And it's comes from, you know, my childhood, honestly. So I think the healing aspect of it, well, really I didn't have a choice. I mean, I was kind of in a situation that it was like sink or swim. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that's not the hunting thing of it. That's life. Like I was at the point that it was like, Cindy, you have got to keep moving forward and you cannot dwell on that. Or what are you going to do? I mean, you're just going to sit here and, and, and wallow in your own self-pity and that's not going to do anybody any good, especially yourself. So it just so happened that hunting was the thing that gave me focus. Um, and then, mm-hmm. but then once I got that focus with hunting, it only took a couple of years of hunting to really find my interest in conservation because I thought, God, this has been so great and this is what it's giving me. So now, and I think getting involved with different people, um, in the conservation world also helped because they, they ended up being true friends and they gave me confidence. They're like, you know, Cindy, you've got this. And I know what you've been through, but, and I think that has helped my healing process too, to have that foundation of friends that I otherwise would have probably never met had it not been for hunting or or getting involved in conservation. And that's been a game changer too. So, I mean, it's, it's really the whole thing. It's, it's basically everything. I mean, everything that I've started or, or become involved with since I started hunting has just, I don't know, it's just changed, changed the whole game. I love it. I don't know if that answers your question, but it it does. And and when you, you know, you talked about recognizing, like, it's okay to give yourself credit. It's okay to feel like you did a good job. It's okay to feel like you are learning something or have, you know, and I think sometimes, you know, there might be two extremes where maybe somebody's 
ego driven, right? You know, so it's, 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 it is that kudos. It is that, that presence in the room. It is that ego that's kind of leading that thing. But there's a difference. I think when you shift and really think about it's okay to appreciate, to acknowledge yourself for one learning something, but for two, for also pulling yourself up out of the place that you were just at, right. And dusting it off and and going again. So I agree. And I, people have told me, you know, you inspire me or you, you're such an inspiration. And I just, I still, I shake my head. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. And they're like, oh, everything you do for this org or for Hunter's Ed. And I'm like, anybody can do this. I am not special. Am I proud of what I've accomplished? Hell yes. I'm excited about the community that I'm in. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about what I'm doing and what I have yet to do that I don't even know yet. But, but I don't, I don't feel special. I don't feel like I'm anything different from anybody else. I think that if people really stop and think they can dig themselves out of just about anything they're faced with, um, if the challenge presents mm-hmm. themselves. And mm-hmm. and I know there's some people that, that lose that battle, but um, I think for the majority, um, we have a strength in us that we don't really know is there until we're forced to find it. And then, you know, so, but it, it, it has been a journey and I don't think it really hit me until my forties. And I think that happens to a lot of people that when you get into your forties, you find this new confidence in yourself and, and you really, I think I'm a different person than I was five years ago. And that person was a different person than I was 10 years ago. I think you just evolve, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm at a point now that I'm finally getting to be like, you know, I'm proud of myself. And I've never been able to say that before. So it's, it's strange (laughs) and I won't say it a lot, but it, but it's okay to say it occasionally. Yeah, it is. It is. It absolutely is. And I think, you know, in those moments where somebody says to you, you know, you're an inspiration. Yes. I think that's something where you should take that. And it it, compliments, I think for, for a lot of us are hard to take, you know, like, how do I receive this? How do I, how am I grateful? But also, um, authentically or genuinely like take the compliment, right? Cause it's easy to brush those things off. But when I have people say that to me, I honestly, I feel like it's not a reflection of me. It's a reflection of how they've received it and where they are. And that might sound a little woo woo to somebody, but um, you know, I think there's a lot of times I wake up and I'll have something on my heart or have something on my mind um, and I love to write like you do. Um, that's a huge outlet for me. And so I'll just write something. And a lot of times I don't even feel like I, I'm not necessarily sure wh- where, you know, why this is coming out in this way. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but Hey, I'm throwing this out here. And if that inspires somebody, that's not about me. That is about that part of their journey. And yes. I'm so blessed to even just have a, a tiny little piece in that thing. That's an excellent way to put it for sure. Because I, I've had a lot of women reach out to me that were either previously in domestic violence situations or they're currently in that situation. And they've told me just for the simple fact that you have talked about it publicly Mm -hmm. has given me so much hope that I can get out of the situation. Just lost Cindy again, but I will get her back. 
Let's see if she can jump right back in. Yay, here she comes. Yay. <laughs> well, we're talking about powerful things and sometimes life and uh, other outside things try to get in the way of that because it's life-changing. So you were saying, you know, other women or other individuals, you know, in, because that does not only happen men towards women, as we know. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, talking about how to give them encouragement and, um, you know, publicly talking about things and owning things is, is hard. It, it usually it brings up a lot of um, mixed emotions and stuff. But I think it's important to remember the power when you're in a healthy place to do that, the power of that will be life-changing for other people. So what would be your advice to somebody? Cause I guarantee there are people listening in who are in situations they want to get out of. And like you said, honestly, people from the outside looking in can look at abuse and go, well, why didn't you leave? Or why didn't you leave sooner? Or, how could you stay? Or how could you make excuses for them? Because a lot of times in those abusive relationships, we do end up making excuses for the abuse, no matter what kind it is. Um, you know, and there's also trauma bond where things so bad can happen between two people, even though it happened from one to another, that it forms this really psychologically messed up connection, right? Um, so what would you say to somebody in the throes of that right now as encouragement for them to get themselves to a better place? Honestly, I think that believe that it can get better. Um, what seems very, um, I guess hard to think that you're going to be able to leave that and walk away from it and not have any repercussions. And you know what, more than likely you will have some repercussions. You're going to, you're going to potentially deal with that person. You're going to potentially deal with being, you know, in a struggle. Um, you're going to have, you're going to have for a while. And like I said, I'm 11 years out of still, I still have those issues. Uh, they're, they're getting better. Um, but I, I think the best thing I could tell someone is I was embarrassed for a long time. I was humiliated, embarrassed because I didn't want to tell my dad, my dad and I are the closest uh, two people could be. And for 11 years, he had no, I mean, neither one of my parents, new but to set aside that embarrassment or whatever you're feeling and put yourself first you know what that stuff will be fine and the people who love you your family or your friends or whoever your community is they are going to accept you and welcome you into op their open arms because it's safe they want a safe place and if you are not in a safe place now set aside um your pride aside that embarrassment that you might be feeling and just tell someone that doesn't mean you're going to walk out the door immediately, but you can start putting a plan together. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the mm -hmm. biggest thing. If you're financially in a situation that you can't just go off on your own. I did not want to tell anybody. I knew there were people that were there to help me. Had I told if there was one thing I could do differently, I would have went and told the people that I knew that loved me and would have helped me. And it probably would have been out of that much easier. So trust the people in your life that, that love you and trust your friends and just, just know really knew what was happening in your home or behind closed doors. They are going to help you. They're going to mm -hmm. get you out of there. And, you know, there's a lot of people that don't, that don't leave in time and it doesn't end well. Um, I feel like, you know, I was fortunate that I got out when I did because I 
you know, I can't say what would have switched for me was when he threatened to kill me. And that was just like, I mean, I had been choked and kicked and raped and, you know, stepped on and held down by, I mean, all the things had everything thrown at me that wasn't attached to the, to the wall. But for some reason I didn't leave, but for, but whatever, whatever reason it was when he said, I mean, he'd said horrible things to me before, but that day, that's when it just, you know, it, it changed mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. So that's a very long answer to your question. But I just think, try friends, um, find it. That's, that's the most important thing. And just understand that, my God, be an example for anything. Look at how much my life and and look at what a better place I'm in now you know, emotionally. And everybody says, oh man, you know, I hate that that happened to you, but good thing because look how strong you are now. No, it was never a good thing. There was never anything good about it. And I don't feel like it's fair to, to expect that people have to go of their lives to make them stronger. I'm the only one that's going to make myself stronger. That situation broke me. It didn't make me stronger. So don't, don't think that you're you're being tough or you're being resilient by sticking it out get better if it's if it's bad already you need to leave and mm -hmm. friends and your family and 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 it, it, it it'll be a whole new world for you i just hope you believe that i really appreciate what you just said because i i see that a little differently um, and I think it's just a matter of perspective and whatever you can cling, we can all cling to a perspective that helps us feel better about something or moves us through it. Um, for me, um, I don't necessarily, and I could never say to anybody else, you know, think, look at you now, at least that happened to you so you could get here or help them or do whatever. For me, I can say that, you know, the trauma, the abuse that I went through in my past, could I have could I have been, could I be here and do what I'm doing and help motivate and encourage and uplift other people? Had I not gone through that? Yeah, probably. But I feel like it in my journey allows me that that experience allows me to be more human with those other people, to be more empathetic in those situations, to look at, a friend who's going through abuse and not go, how the hell did you not already leave? Right. Because there is so much more to it than other people understand. And so I do see that differently than you. And I appreciate your perspective because I think, you know, there's so many different ways that you can look at it and we're all driven so differently, um, which I think is important to people listening to, to know, and to remember, you know, I think it's easy to get sucked into shame spirals too, when you're dealing with abuse, do I deserve this? Was this me? Did I ask for it? Did I, you know, all of that stupid stuff that kind of helps you almost keeps you small and keeps you stuck mm -hmm. in those situations. Um, so just, I want to say like, it is not your fault. Whoever's listening, whatever you might be going through right now, it is not your fault. You don't deserve those things. There is a way to overcome and get through it. Um, and just like you were saying, you know, reach out to somebody, 
And not everybody has an immediate circle of friends or family that they can reach out to, which is unfortunate, but not everybody has that kind of foundation. Do you have any other um, additional resources or advice that you can give as far as places to go or reach out to? I think um, locally, you can go to to really like a, a YMCA, a place like that, like a community center. Um, you can go to your your state health department even. I mean, they have counselors. They can direct you to a shelter or they can direct you to a domestic violence. There's a domestic violence hotline that you can uh, look up and call. Um, you know, I think there's a fear. For me, there was, my ex-husband was a firefighter. So for me to call the police, I, this, and this is part of the things that don't make sense. I didn't want to embarrass him. Okay, look what's happening to me. But I didn't want to embarrass him. So calling the police for me was not an option because they all know each other. You know, I mean, the fire department, police department, they're, they all know each other. Not that I didn't think the police would help me, but it was just a very uncomfortable thing. So, you know, uh, you can go online or uh, call a women's shelter, call a domestic violence center, domestic violence hotline, a YMCA, even, even a boys and girls club. If you, if you can just reach out. Uh, in a community center like that, they get you in the right place. They will connect you with the right people. Even if it's not in an organization, they will connect you with someone that can help you. So, and, and, you know, I, I get the whole friend thing. I, I really was shut off from most people in this relationship. So my friend base, I had coworkers. I didn't really have friends at that time. So I think that's why I just tried to do everything myself. And in hindsight, I at least wish I would have you know, told my family uh, to help mm -hmm. me, but there's definitely organizations in most local and state communities that can, can help you get headed in the right direction for sure. Well, I appreciate you sharing, you know, pieces of your story. Um, I think again, I just, I just really hope and pray that this um, is received by whoever it is today listening or in the future listening that really needs that encouragement. So thank you, Cindy, so much. Um, not only for this part of your story, but just for also nurturing other people and giving back to, you know, other outdoorsmen and um, helping shape the the experiences and the journey for those who are getting into hunting themselves. Um, but also for just being a steward to the land and appreciating that and having that outlook. I, uh, I really look up to that and I'm inspired by, you know, those pieces of your story so much. Where can people reach out, find you online or connect with you? Um, well, on Instagram, there's Cindy Lou. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm more of an Instagram person, Facebook person, but I do have a Facebook. It's just Cindy Stites. Um, but yeah, I mean, if anybody has questions or if they're in a situation that they just want somebody to talk to that, you know, is, I'm not a counselor, but I can certainly tell you, you know, you know, I understand what you're going through. And if you just need an ear anybody and same thing with hunting you know i've always said i will take anybody hunting and i will <laughs> so if anybody wants to to go hunting just let me know and i'm happy to take you oh i love that and you're in uh did you say danville indiana i'm, I'm just outside of danville okay. indiana yeah okay and so about 30 minutes straight west of indianapolis yeah Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know some up and coming hunters that are really uh, looking to get into, you know, just more experiences um, and having that mentorship. So who knows, there'll probably be quite a few people reaching out and hopefully you guys can connect. Um, sure. Besides that, what's next for you? What's got you excited about the next season of life? Anything? 
I think diving into writing. Um, I'm an aspiring outdoor writer. I've had a few pieces published, but I, I really, I really want to go down that road. I think storytelling is so important. And, you know, I'm not a writer and I'm not necessarily a how-to person. I think there's enough how-to hunt whitetail, yeah. how-to do this out there. But I think that um, what I like to share is with hunting and, and just the experience. And I want to be able to write a story about a hunt that, that takes people to where I am and they can smell what I see and almost feel like they're there with me. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm most looking forward to is really diving into some outdoor writing and um, hopefully getting some stuff out there for people to read. Awesome. Well, we'll keep in touch on that for sure. And uh, throw things my way that I can share with other people. I love reading as much as I love writing. So I would be very interested to, uh, to put my eyes on to some of that. Once again, thank you for tuning into the show. We hope that your cup is full and you're ready to embrace your untamable vibe. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a favor? Help us grow our audience by sharing your favorite episode on social media, sending the episode to a friend and leaving us a review online. We love to hear from you. One more thing, be sure to press that subscribe button and never miss a weekly episode. See you next week.